for listening to another episode of the soul kitchen i really appreciate that you're tuning in for the episode with melissa marinen marinen whom i met in several places in amsterdam in lisbon in costa rica in indonesia we keep on uh, bumping into each other and she's the host of melissa's midlife a podcast and she's also an it leadership coach and she's increasingly interested in the field of love and relationships. So we're going to talk about that uh, today. How uh, How's your life going, uh, Melissa? Hey, Jasper, thank you for having me in your podcast. My life is going great. I cannot complain. I was just, for a whole week, I was in Venice uh, watching, going to the Biennale, the art exposition. Um, and it was amazing. I was blown away. So I'm actually in a very good mental state at the moment. That's really nice. Is Does art play an important role in your life or was it a coincidence that you were there? Um, art plays an important role in my life in the sense that my uh, father um, has been uh, showing me or introducing me to art all my life. And now again, he... He uh, brought me to Venice. And um, so modern art is definitely a place, definitely plays a huge part in my life. Yeah. And two of my three best friends did art academy. So, you know, you can imagine that, yeah, artsy people are around me most mm. of the time. Yeah. Can you give an example of an uh, artwork that inspired you at the Biennale? Well, uh, my father and me decided that the winner, there's never a winner, but for us, the winner of the Biennale is uh, Simona Ley, an American artist who just made huge sculptures of uh, Afro-American women in uh, just really beautiful, beautifully done, look beautifully, but also, um, yeah, it's it's all about the strength of these women and um the, the, the position they had in, in, in life, etc. So it was very provoking, but also very beautifully done. Yeah, yeah so Simona Le, definitely check her out. Simona Le, oh, that's, that's beautiful. And do you see yourself as an artist uh, as well? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, um, I don't know, creative days. Um, I do draw, but that's more kind of a uh, something I do to not go on my phone. I draw. Uh, since a couple of months or so, or when I'm um, when I'm attending a program, instead of making notes, I draw. I draw what's you know going on, and I find it's actually very nice. But I'm not an artist at all. I think um, I always get very I don't know triggered by art. Like oh yes, I want to do it. triggered in a positive sense. So to to I, it activates me. 
a lot. So I get all kinds of ideas. So in that sense, I'm a creative, very creative person, but I'm not an artist. No. Because mm -hmm. how I got to know you was through your previous company, Professional Rebel. In 2013, I switched from a job in strategy consulting to kind of the startup world, and I signed up for this bike tour. Um, so can you share a bit about Professional Rebel and how you look back at that stage of your life? Oh, it was amazing. Um, well, first of all, I just finished, finished my, uh, or kind of finished my second study. Um, and, and, you know, I, I had a diploma, but there were no jobs because it was a financial crisis time and uh, around 20, 2010, 2011. And then I started this company with Linda, this crazy, crazy girl, really nice girl. And she uh, and we, we started Professional Rebel just actually out of curiosity how to how, how to build businesses. So we build a business with the question, oh, how do you do this? So then, you know, we interviewed all kinds of entrepreneurs. And then at one point we said, oh, this is really nice. Let's bring other people when we are interviewing these entrepreneurs and that's the start of the startup tour and that was actually a really nice way of just being curious learning getting to know the whole startup scene um, being in the midst of of that all very vibrant area of startup scene in amsterdam because there wasn't that much money so everybody had to be creative uh in food and tech, in closing, everywhere, like new concepts were developing. And that was professional rebel. Yeah. And what was the philosophy behind professional rebel? Geez, yes, that changed like every month or so. But uh, <laughs> why did you chose the uh, name? Well, how I, I, I chose, I, I, I came up with the name uh, actually. Um, you know, um, because this, there was this agency called Professional Passionates, you know, of Talita and Nick, and they were more of a sustainable strategy consultancy. And then I saw somewhere Rebel, and I thought, Professional Rebel, that's just amazing together. And I tested it with, of course, Linda and some other people, and they were all very excited about it. And then what it said, Actually, the meaning came later, of course, like it was more an intuitive creation. And then it's very logical. It's like you make money by going by going against the status quo. That's basically it. And that's, you know, what a lot of startups did that back then. Like that FAMOV, the bike um, brand, just knew and they went against like the status quo completely. You had all kinds of startups. I I forgot I forget them now completely. But you know when you even think about I don't know Spotify, they changed the whole music industry, and all these companies, every one of them went into the the business as usual model. So that's that's what we really liked. So you wanted to to be rebellious in a in a professional way. Yeah, you, you took the role of. A, connector right because you were working in that, that scene so how did you transition from interviewing people to turning it into an organization uh, well um we we the thing with linda and me was that we um 
shared a lot of our story and our journey. It was there was not no Instagram yet. It was all Facebook based, but everybody liked that a lot. So they actually got kind of activated by our posts. And then they were like, we want that kind of experience. And then the first, first it was like you or anybody else just buying a ticket. And it was too cheap actually for us to make a living. Uh, and then suddenly there was this IT company called Unit 4. And they wanted to have like this experience for their management team. And then suddenly we had a business model. So we, we became kind of uh, consultants by accident. It was not our, um, you know, goal, but it was a way to finance our, <laughs> our own kind of uh, explorations, basically. I see. So it grew very organically. And I remember that, uh, like, personal branding and sharing stories, you, you did that quite early on, even before it became more mainstream, like nowadays, a lot of people do that. Um, is that something you already knew how to do or did you learn that from your business partner who also did a, uh, she did a participate in an academy on, on political campaigns, right? True, yeah. No, Linda Fermat is her name, her full name. Um, yeah, so she was already brilliant in get, getting into the media. We were in all the national newspapers and magazines and we did all kinds of photo shoots um, she was also very brilliant in doing social media and posts and stuff. Um, so, no, I definitely learned that from her. I was and am still uh, more lazy uh, in, in that sense. And uh, she was very um, uh, consistent and strategic about it. So, that yeah, that, that I learned a lot from her and it helped us a lot. Yeah. Mm. And what is the role of consistency in these types of... Uh... Uh, campaigns or, or branding? Um, yes, that's always a question. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, after what is it now? I think 10 years of uh, entrepreneurship, I can say that consistency is very important, but I would say you can also be consistent for three months minimum mm -hmm. and already have a huge um how do you say it? It already will have a huge impact on your following and outreach. So, for example, you could be just very consistent in posting four times a week for three months and stop after. Already people will, for still three months later, think you are very active. That's what mm -hmm. I found out. <laughs> so you can. So what I do, I do it like in, in, in waves, right? So... Um, for a couple of months, I'm very active. And then I have a break. I need a break from, from social media. And then again, it comes up again. Uh, but with Professional Rebel, we were very consistent. And that was all due to Linda's uh, full-on <laughs> yeah, active role in that. I see. So it's uh, consistency. It, it helps in um, creating a perception, yeah. right? That you're active, that you're on the go. Yeah. And... Um, before we talk about your 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 present your present, I would like to understand more even before professional rebel, like like a bit about your childhood or your the education you received. Can you share a bit about that phase before professional rebel and then how you entered this professional rebel? Sure, uh, I'm born and raised in Amsterdam, um, and I attended three primary schools. Wow. 
<laughs> yes, and three and, and three high schools. So I always out? sorry. You got kicked out out of school? No, the primary schools were I was small, Jasper. I I mean I was just a little girl. No, that was due to um due to uh, move, moving around in the city. And um and the high schools were actually because I got kicked out. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Uh, because I didn't, you know, pass basically the grades, and um, so I always joke around that I did a lot of networking already when I was, you know, before 18 years old. I, I, uh, you know, spread my kind of network in the whole of Amsterdam, basically, uh, mostly, and um, yeah, I'm I'm from a kind of mixed household. So my mom is from Indonesia, and my father is from the Netherlands, and so we have. We, I grew up with kind of mixed cultures, which became more apparent actually uh, after the date. So after, like right now, I can see like the huge cultural differences between them. At the time, I thought it was normal. Um, and they, they just uh, had a lot of fights and conflicts. But there was a very cultural actually uh, difference between them as well. I now know. Um, but it was really nice. They did share uh, having huge dinners, uh, inviting a lot of people. So I we always said like our weekends were full, filled with people in the house. And uh, so I'm a very extrovert person as well. And I like to connect and get to know people. And I was an only child. So uh, I also learned to talk to adults from early on. And um, I think it helped me a lot with communication and stuff. And yeah, uh, so high school wasn't really pretty when it comes to uh, uh, getting diplomas. I didn't get my high school diploma, actually. Mm. Uh, but I get, did go into higher education with a with 21 plus a test, they call it. And uh, I became a teacher in social studies. Mm. I teach at high schools. I love teenagers, but I do not like the educational system. It was too narrow for me. So I stopped that and started a new study, uh, international relations. And um, when I was finished, yeah, there were no jobs, there were no uh, vacancies. So I started my own company. That's mm -hmm. like a very short introduction. That's amazing. So you're you're an official high school dropout. Yes. Fixed uh, some schools. Like, what? How has that shaped your your becoming becoming an adult? Well, for a long time, I uh, had this idea of myself that I couldn't finish uh, stuff, and that was very annoying. Like a lot of you know, of my a lot of my friends, they all finished. They all went to really cool university studies, and you know, um, so I was I had this kind of negative image of myself. And then when I was uh, 27, there was actually a very important age for me. It's the, the year that I uh, stopped smoking because I smoked from when I was I don't know, 16 years old. And at 27, I decided, no, I'm going to quit this summer. I went on a travel. I went traveling alone in Brazil, also very important. And I started uh, a new master's in political science or international relationships after the summer. So there were all these decisions that completely made me feel like I have a lot of power and influence on who I am, how I think about myself and how I want to live my life. And that was kind of the, you know, first, yeah, 
it felt like freedom basically i was completely free and i i loved that yeah so you really had a breakthrough at, at 27 with with range yeah. of emotions. and uh, did you um, explore quitting smoking before or was it like uh, suddenly you you decided i did i did try to to quit before with my boyfriend at the, of the time but we both started smoking. I don't know how it went, but it was really stupid. Uh, I think I think um, the World Cup started, and then we started smoking again. Something stupid like that. Um, but to do it, you know, I was single when I quit smoking, and it was all. And I also actually in that year um, completely came positive with my money. So. I, before I had like a student, you know, like a debt as a student, always in minus thousand rent. And then I just, for one year, I was very, uh, you know, uh, good with my money. And then, and then that was, that problem was gone as well. So all these problems lifted off this, this weight of my shoulder. And um, yeah, I don't know, 27 is a mag magic year for me. That's amazing. And um, uh, how... What did you learn during that trip? Because you traveled to Brazil. It seemed to be an important trip to you. Like, like, what did it mean for you? Brazil was uh, actually completely about being somebody um, without, how do you say, it's being ashamed for anything. Like, just being me. Just being me in the most um, essential uh, states. So, for example... I uh, flirted and dated with a lot of guys and, uh, and it wasn't. And before I would be more like, Oh, I should not be such a slut or something. And there, that was so normal as well. Like you flirted with everybody. That was just a Brazilian way of life. I, I somehow this is how they communicate basically. And I loved that. I felt so at place there. And that part of me, um, you know, without the judgment, that was that was it. So without self-judging, uh, judging myself on, on all kinds of stuff, I could let that go. For example, for, I don't know, three or four days or so, I met this girl and we I was couch surfing. And actually, most of the day, I was just sitting on her couch, knitting, like, um, yeah, knitting, because mm -hmm. I felt like it. And, you know, most people who go to Brazil think, you know, I have to see this and that. and this. But I was just there on her mother's couch watching some American uh, show because I felt like it. And I didn't feel judgmental to myself. So that was really mm -hmm. important. So it felt really true. <laughs> and you took, you took ownership over yourself. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. And um, uh, did certain things happen before at age 27 when you thought, now it's finally my moment? Was there like a turning point or was it more a sudden process or like a slow process? I had a, a couple of things. I think a very important part of it was that I, you know, uh, was on my own, that I was single, that I was not actually busy with somebody else. That's maybe weird, but I, I think it was the first time in a long time that I was really single and just uh, had to deal with stuff by myself and find value from myself. I feel, I feel so cheesy talking about this in this way, but it truly was like that. Like I, I got confronted first with, oh, I'm so lonely or nobody likes me or I'm going to die alone, that kind of thoughts. And then being okay with that. And then suddenly 
realizing that, oh my God, being single is actually the best way to live. <laughs> I hope we, I, I will do this forever. Like that was seriously the way I was thinking at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So being single was a, was a, op- a door opener to these uh, transformations. Yeah. And then you started your uh, your first company, Professional Rebel. And at some point, uh, you closed down the the company, or you 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 finished it. Can you share a bit about that process as well? Um. Well, t- um, before two things happened. So my first business partner, Linda, she decided to do something different yeah. after three years of Professional Rebel uh, because she really wanted to go more in sustainability. And that, and, and she's doing that right now. Um, and then I got a new partner. And then it's not me, I swear. But after one and a half or two years, he also decided to quit. <laughs> um, and uh, we are still best friends. So, you know, it's not me. But uh, he, for him, it was too stressful uh, to do to do it. And then, I don't know, I, then I uh, actually had a good time by myself. And it went really well. And then at one moment, somebody started working for me, Teddy. And she was actually much more, I don't know, uh, profound and and, uh, uh, motivated to make Professional Rebel bigger. And then she started doing that. And then I thought, Teddy, you should, you know, take this to the next level, your level, whatever you want to do with it. And she's doing that right now. So it still exists. And she's having these really cool clients doing uh, young leadership programs uh, specifically for very innovative young companies like the next web and Keaton, this really cool company. So I'm very, very proud of her. Mm, that's uh, that's amazing. And, and uh, what did you learn of um, uh, closing? Cause sometimes you need to close a chapter chapter before a new yeah. company, uh, opens, right? Or how do you look back at these transitions with your partners and then new adventures yeah it's so strange because uh, you know because I, I made it myself uh it's like a concept uh you know it's for example i i just love the name uh i could have also easily decided to just keep the name and do something completely different i mean it's all in my hands right but somehow the name already was something like an entity and it was not from me anymore. So it mm-hmm. was drifting away. And it's so weird because it's completely conceptual what I'm talking about. It's not real. It's just an idea. But the idea that, and the energy it, it had with it, it was completely true for me that it was not me anymore. Yeah. And that I was already grown in something different. But still, when I talk about it, I'm like, yeah, you, what are you talking about? It's just air, what you're talking about. But somehow <laughs> it was really like that. And so and it took me uh, also uh, getting pregnant, uh, getting a, having a baby, moving to to towards a village outside of Amsterdam uh, with my uh, with my partner, you know, to, to even feel that distance even more. And then uh, yeah, Teddy took over. Yeah, but I I really understand you because sometimes you create an entity, and then in the beginning you're 100 merged, but then the entity gets its own life. And then yeah. you can go into a different direction, but it's not easy to suddenly say goodbye, right? So it's internal no. of accepting yeah. that you're also moving on and moving in a different direction from business partners and from the entity itself. 
Yeah, it's very similar, I think, with Bohemian Birds. I mean, that was also so beautiful, the brand, yeah. the, everything, the identity, just like Professional Rebel. And, and that's like a miscreation, and it's very, very hard to, to let it go. And it, I think it took me like two years. How long did it took you, like mentally? Yeah, maybe a few years. It's really a process. Uh, but maybe with your first creation, it takes longer also than with other creations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, um, and maybe be, in hindsight, do you feel the pace was perfect or would you have said goodbye earlier or later to the entity? No, it was it was how it was. Uh, I, I I cannot. I'm not. I I am not good at looking back and thinking differently. I I I, I never do that. Like it's that's the past. That's what happened. That's how it was. So I can never do that. No. <laughs> I I see. No, that that's a very good point. And um, I also want to talk to you about travel because we met in four different countries, and uh, maybe you're the only one that I've met in four different countries. I think you're the only one. Uh, which is no. funny, here, right? It's really funny, yeah. Um, so Amsterdam, Lisbon, Indonesia, Costa Rica. So, what did you do in these uh, these places? I think Lisbon it was NextWeb. Indonesia, you're on tour. Uh, maybe you can share a bit yourself <laughs> these travels. Yeah, yeah. So Lisbon, I was still in the startup scene, and we were at the Web Summit, um, ah. huge conference. And actually, you were like networking your ass off and I was actually pretty chill and then we met <laughs> and it was so cool um and you know I was actually at that moment I was like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the startup scene probably pretty soon because it's I don't have a real role in it anymore like the connector like web summit beats me like a million times when it comes to connecting so you know let's not do that anymore and um I was really happy with that, actually. And um, in Bali, just this excuse to go to Bali with Professional Rebel, with Linda uh, and Milan at the time, when we met you in Ubud. And, well, my mom is from Indonesia, so I know, of course, I know the island, island Bali as well, pretty well. It was just such an amazing time. It, was, it felt so, so great to be there. And, um, yeah, and you were like, yeah, just sleep at my... <laughs> you, had, you were by yourself in a place with four beds yes. as, if it, as if it was meant to be that Linda, Milan and me were always supposed to stay with you oh, so cool yeah, I, and, was there, um, I was there for Tribe Wanted it was um, Ben yeah. King he's from the UK and he organized this co-working, co-living and yeah. when I was in Bali I really wanted to stay but I already had some commitments in the Netherlands mm. that's, that's when my dream born like to to was born to travel for a longer time. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, continue with your travel stories. Yeah, so, and, um, no, but I remember just to go back to Ubud, we met also at Ubud, which is this hub, and there are several now, of course, on Bali, but back then it was like new, and all these Indonesian and international people working on their own business, it was a great vibe, and you were already changing. Like, I don't want to be a premium birds only. I'm going to do several other stuff. And it was really inspiring for me personally. I thought, wow, you can do that. That's possible. That's that's where a seed for me started. Um, the last one was in Costa Rica, and we met last February. Yes, right? last February, yes. 
And uh, you just had an amazing experience in my, I, I forget the name. Pachamama. Pachamama, that's it. And, um, and I was there with my partner and my son. And uh, again, my father, by the way, and his wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I also had an amazing experience in Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, that's really nice. And uh, when I met you and your, your family, uh, we talked a bit about uh, relationships, uh, the beauty yeah. of relationships, the challenges. And I think you mentioned that you want to transition more also into love and relationship coaching. True. Can you share a bit about that? Uh, yeah, why you're passionate about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so at the moment, I'm, a, I'm mostly leadership coach. And actually, one of the main things, I will go back to the story in Costa Rica, but one of the main things I coach leaders in, and most of these leaders are men, actually, in the IT, is that I say it's very simple, actually, when you communicate something. Or it's basically love, or it's hate. Hate is a harsh word, of course, but like it's not for the other, but for yourself. So love is, you know, together and beneficial for both or even only for the other. And um, and and that makes it very easy. Like, are you communicating now from a sense of love, even if it's very, very light to your colleague or client or whatever, then you're doing great as a leader, I think. Anyway, so... I already said that a lot about love. And then uh, in Costa Rica, we were talking with you and you were telling this story. I'm not going to say it because it's your story, but it inspired me and my partner to think about uh, having an uh, open relationship. (laughs) So I said something about what you told me. Sorry. (laughs) But, um, and then we we actually, I think a week later or so, we were doing cappuccino and uh, I was saying to my um, uh, partner, uh, uh, like, oh my God, these women here, they are gorgeous. I mean, they're, they're mind-blowing uh, because they are. I don't know how, but they are. And he was like, oh, you should, because he's a surfer, he's like, you should see the ones in the water on the surfboards. They are even more... <laughs> And, uh, you know, and I was like, you know, I actually wish you to have access kind of in flirting with these and even do it more, you know, and exploring like new connections. And I actually wish that for myself as well. And then in about three minutes or so, we discussed it and we decided to to to, to try it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, How's it going so far? Yeah, great. I mean, it's challenging, definitely. It takes a lot of communication. And the first thing we did actually was uh, download a book at the cost slot. And um, I read it based on your recommendation. Sorry? I read it based on your recommendation. Oh, really? Ah. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 did you like it? I liked it. It opened my horizon about uh, opportunities in life. And and I realized that uh, I've been conditioned with a traditional or with with one model, maybe monogamy for the rest of your life. But in the book, they explore different forms and it opened my mind to, to options. And also that you can communicate your preferences with other people and kind of design it together. Instead of yeah. that, you need to follow a certain model. So, what what did the book mean for you? No, that um, first of all, and I did not expect it to be about that. So, 
the first month or so, I was more kind of um, came, became aware of my pre-programming. Yes, definitely. So, oh my God, like this whole world is monogamous. Everybody thinks monogamous. I think monogamous. Oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah, because, you know, I think I assume that I'm like this individual uh, that's critical thinker and uh, decides stuff for herself. But basically I'm programmed, you know, to want to have this romantic life with one person. And because of the book, I learned this uh, and to deprogram myself in a sense, but also to communicate more clearly and um, really, really feel like, what is my need in this situation? I feel something is bothering me, but what is the need underneath it? Like, what is the emotion? What is the emotion telling me? It's like a data entry point, you know, it's like information, like, oh my, okay, I'm feeling this. What is this? And then... I got to know myself much, much better than ever before, basically because of this decision. Yeah. So how did you get to know yourself uh, better? Uh, all kinds of these underlying uh, schemes or patterns that uh, I didn't know. For example, um, one very, um, yeah, it's, it, it might sound strange, but one thing that came up is um, is actually appearance appearances. So mm -hmm. beauty, attraction, and as a woman, uh, how as you as a little girl, um, you know, I grew up, and then people thinking I was, uh, you know, pretty or saying that I was pretty, and then this became a theme. So it's like a a little bit. It, it um, reminds me of smoking. Smoking mm -hmm. was was constantly there. Like it was something I thought about the whole time. And since a couple of months, I became aware that appearance and attraction and how I look is something I think about all the time. It's like through my whole day in life. Mm -hmm. And it, that's very, that was really like, God, this is a huge amount of my headspace goes to this thing. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's very, it's, very complex thing and it has a lot to do with uh, secu feeling secure about myself uh, feeling valued and that was so strange being valued by your appearances is very strange actually because a lot of it I didn't have any to do with it right it's just my DNA and you know it's, it's strange it's a uh, so for example I never knew this before now and now are you thinking less about it your appearance how the, how no. The <laughs> no, 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 but it's um, uh, so I turned 40 this summer, mm -hmm. so there's it's a more of an aware process, it's a very aware process because I'm also transitioning to an older woman, mm -hmm. and um, uh, and yeah, so this is. I find it more interesting. Before I would maybe feel it, feel it more negatively, and now I am um, more, how do you say it, actively thinking about it and finding it more interesting. Mm. Wow, I'm in this process, I'm in this transition, and what's going on, what's happening, and playing with it more, experimenting yeah. with it more, instead of underlying feeling of, oh, you know? 
yeah. something. And I don't know if I'm making. Well, I'm making the process of uh, awakening and becoming more aware. And yeah. um, in the book, The Ethical Slot, they also talk about if you're in a close relationship that you can open the relationship because you, you can meet someone new and then you can discuss this open relationship or you can open an existing one. But how did that opening go with the two of you? And do you have some tips maybe for people <laughs> if you want to do that as well? Yeah, no, definitely. I think what's really important is that both of the partners are very curious to find other people. Like if it's a, and also, first of all, what's extremely important is that like uh, the basis is really good. Like me and my partner, we had a relationship for 12 years and we are we felt like on a really good place. There were no huge issues at all. I mean, we sometimes fight, but there were no issues like, um, like big issues. And, um, and we talked about, you know, how do we want to do this? And it's just, we have two rules. Like we tell each other everything and not with friends because that's just going to be drama. So Mm -hmm. those are our two rules. And, um, and we communicate. We can fall in love with other people. That's okay. We can just communicate everything, right? Uh, but the, so it's really important that you're in a good place and can talk about everything, that there are no taboos. That's really important. Uh, the other one is that for men, it's more difficult on the dating apps than for women. Mm. So in the beginning, uh, the my, my partner, he had less likes and matches and any, anything than me. And that can be like a huge kind of ego stump or, you know, he felt really like, my God, why don't I have any matches and stuff? Um, and I, I felt like, oh, my God, everybody loves me. So that's also something that became a little bit uh, imbalanced. imbalanced. And um, so, yeah, be prepared for that as a man that this is just going to take a while. But then, you know, it became balanced again. But, you know. There are always times that when it's imbalanced and balanced again, imbalanced, balanced again. So that's something you have to take as as part of it. And um, the, you know, insecurities I felt when it was imbalanced and my partner had more dates than me, that's something I dealt with. And again, it was like kind of an opening to, again, explore my own insecurities and uh, learn much more about myself. Yeah. Because I would feel jealousy and... and, um... And in the, in the book, they also describe that. So how do you, have you experienced jealousy? And how, if yes, how do you deal with it? Uh, I I did experience jealousy. Uh, I did, I experienced it last week even. Uh, and it's like, it's so strange a feeling, right? Now I'm more um, uh, aware when I feel it, where it's in my body, how it feels. I stay first with that feeling. Um, and I just feel like, oh, pinch in my stomach. What's this? Oh, something in my throat. Okay, okay. Is it going away? Oh, yeah. Finally, after five minutes, it's gone. And then I start thinking about, like, what is in this situation is bothering me um, extremely? And, for example, my partner was uh, watching these uh, videos with somebody, and then he actually wouldn't – I felt like, shit, you're doing that kind of stuff? You know, it was not about the sex or anything. It was about that kind of stuff. Like, you're watching funny videos. And then what does it say? Yeah, I felt like kind of 
I don't know, rejected or somehow. And, you know, and I deal with that. And then it just goes away, the feeling. And then uh, I continue my life. <laughs> how, how, how do you feel? How do you deal with that feeling of rejection? Um, I, I ask myself, like, is it true? Like, am I rejected? Is this, is this, uh, is this true? Am I rejected? No, I'm not at all. It's just not true. And that's <laughs> immediately like, it's not true. I'm just dealing with this emotional reaction of my body and my mind, who's very, which is very frightened, right? It's like this fear, like this basic fear in me that all humans have to get rejected. Like we all have the extreme need for, for, for connection because that's, you know, part of our survival strategy. So, um, yeah, so I, I ask myself, is it true? It's not true. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> that's, that's good. And um, so you deal with rejection, you deal with jealousy, you become more aware of these emotions. But another question I have, if I play devil's advocate, it can also sound like a bit of a hassle. So what is the ultimate benefit of opening a relationship? Um, it is a huge hassle, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> agenda-wise and we also have a kid so you know a two-year-old so agenda-wise it's very it's a huge hassle um the benefit for me is actually the moment we walked away from that uh spot where we talked about it the first time in Costa Rica I felt my heart opening and feeling this warmth spreading from my heart through my body and it's that this has opened up um, the possibility of connections and that's actually the benefit like deeper connections and it's not even about the sex i have no more deeper connections with friends with uh, new friends with all kinds of people because of this decision like my heart is open it's mm -hmm. not you know closed and careful and oh don't come too close no that's not that's not here anymore it's like completely open i can connect much better with anybody so on the one hand it's a hassle but on the other hand you open your heart and you feel better connections also with your friends your family your partner well that's, yeah. that's beautiful and um you have been to ista ista is the international school of temple arts i've never participated myself but i've met a few people that speak highly about it so how has this experience uh shaped you and and maybe first like what is ista yes what is ista <laughs> why are you laughing oh because it's very difficult to explain um uh, it's like it's well very basically factual it's like a, ista has a uh, several levels and i did level one mm -hmm. i'm like a I'm like a, a greenie, a junior. I, I just started out in this field. And it's um, it's like a week program, six days, I think, six full days, uh, with about 40 people uh, facilitated by three facilitators, which of one is a lead facilitator, and uh, six or seven assistants. Uh, so you're with this group of 50 people. And uh, from, you know, early morning to late evening, you are in this program that just helps you uh, discover or helped me discover like my masculine side, my feminine side, 
um, connecting with others, saying no, understanding where my boundaries are, understanding where my kind of inner power is, how I can let that go, I can let get it out. Being much more um, embodiment is a huge theme, like feeling my, like uh, feeling the body as in, as intelligence, like understanding what you feel as intelligence and how to uh, you know act on that or uh, yeah use that and yeah it's also about connecting with all these people from all over the world uh, on a very deep level. So it's it's a roller coaster <laughs> to say the least. It's crazy. And, you know, and you could also call it a crazy sex scam, which, you know, jokingly people within is like, not, it's not a crazy sex scam, but it's just, you know, you can, there are at night temple nights. Mm-hmm. And then um, um, at one point in the program, uh, yeah, there are like connections and there, they can be sexual, they can be pure physical, pure emotional, verbal, whatever. And uh, that's also happening. Like it's it's an exploration of all that all that stuff. So it's a roller coaster of connection, emotion, self awareness. And um, can you maybe give one example of an exercise in which you connect deeply with someone else to get to get an understanding of what this is about? Well, we are forbidden <laughs> to share any of the exercises. Um, let me think of a light exercise that's quite still quite impactful Um, you know if I would tell even one it would just ruin the experience if somebody never did it so it's crazy I I didn't know anything but you know what yeah maybe don't share about the exercise but what like what did you learn about yourself because of all these exercises yeah, so I will tell you that um, I actually uh, learned a lot about my, uh, so it's also about your parents. So one exercise is also about your parents, and it's uh, quite in the beginning of the program. And um, and I learned, like, this is, it's like therapy on steroids, basically, because <laughs> I got really deep into my relationships with my my, my mother and my father and uh, what still was there that I, uh, you know, was not nice, was not safe when I was young. And, um, yeah, and to deal with that and just emotional release, basically, of what's what was inside of me. And I just kept it there, like, no, I'm not going to let that out. And I actually, I was very surprised that I had so much... Yeah, still anger and um, uh, sadness actually in me uh, about my youth, and yeah, so that's that was very surprising and freeing again at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I can um, I can imagine. And uh, can you share maybe a bit about the relationship with your dad or mom that you still wanted to release, or is that private information? Um. Yeah, well, you know, to keep it a, a bit a bit uh, on the surface, it was so my parents just didn't get along with each other uh, most of the time, and so I, I you know dealt with that a lot as an only child, and um, yeah, and there were still kind of 
yeah, that I didn't like that, basically. That as a young child, I had to deal with all these adult stuff and fights and was a witness to it. And uh, and I had all these coping mechanisms uh, to deal with that. Um, and yeah, I, I got aware of them. Mm. That's beautiful when you become more aware and you can kind of release this pain. Mm-hmm. And what is the relationship between this therapeutic exercise or the relationship with your parents and, and the sexual component? Why are these two connected? Well, because what you see is these patterns and these coping mechanisms are still also in, in, in like right now. So, um, you know, for example, one of my tendencies is then to, in a group like that, you know, be really fun and uh, pleasant and communicate with, uh, with people and that they like me and stuff. And that's something I also learned as a child, you know, as a, a uh, only child between a lot of adults, you know, not being annoying, uh, being nice. And that's kind of, you know, what I also did there. So you get really, yeah, uh, you get to really know yourself and see these patterns and, a huge part of it is these stories, you know, you make up uh, being in a group. Immediately, I started making up stories about, you know, one of the best looking guys there. Like, there's something between him and me. And this it was all a story in my head. And at one point, I felt like, oh, my God, this is just a story. This is such a stupid story. Let's <laughs> erase this story and let's just be with myself again and just see what happens. And, and it was very easy to erase the story and not let the story kind of swept me away and, you know, be in this yeah. Hollywood rom-com all in my head, you know? <laughs> I I sometimes have that as well, that I meet someone and I create a story that is related to the future. Yeah. And suddenly you believe that the story will happen and then when it doesn't happen, I'm usually very disappointed. Um, so can you share a bit more about these these stories and 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 then how you remove them and, and why these stories matter yeah so huge part how i loved ista was that in the first days i really learned to uh, listen to my body and then i realized like um this is gonna strong sounds maybe sounds strange so like the stories part and like the thoughts part, you know, that's going into in your head. It's just that's just like kind of having the radio on, but um, your whole body and your whole being is busy with all kinds of other stuff, which is much more important. So at one point I found like, oh my my head is just having the radio on, you know, let's my head have the radio on that's nice for my head to have some stories to keep busy with you know otherwise you know uh, my head is just a little bit bored and it's actually just a fraction of my head you know the rest of my head the rest of my brains is busy with all kinds of other stuff with like emotional release and processing and other creation but this kind of radio um, let's just have it there. It's nice for the heads. I didn't even want to put it out. I just let it there and knew that it was just 1% of my being. And it was, and still I know like this, this chatter on the radio, it's just 1% of my being. It's cool. It's nice. But my body knows, my body knows what's really going on. 
Yeah. So, you know, when I'm with uh, somebody, for example, uh, I feel I'm, I'm just much more more um, uh, occupied with how, how does my body feel? Like, what? how do I feel um, here inside? And uh, how does it, yeah, is it a connection or not? And, you know, that. Yeah. So it's really about trusting the body, not trusting all the stories of the of the mind. Yeah, that's something that I uh, I still have to learn. Uh, I feel. Yeah, and even what? like from what for me was really important. It's not even about trusting. It's about kind of um, how do you say "gunne" in English? Like I, I, it felt like I will let my um, my brain have these stories because it's nice oh. for my brain. So you don't resist them, but you're kind of no. allowed to be there. Yeah, not even allow. I'm like, I wish my brain to have, I think, I think it's nice for my brain to have these stories, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's a good way of looking at stories. Like, it's just allowing your brain to have them. Yeah, um, I understand. I like Netflix too, right? So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's the, I think it consists of three levels. So you've done level one, right? Mm-hmm. Do you feel the call yeah. to participate in level two and level three as well, or this is it for you? No, I definitely feel the call to do level one again and to do level two. Um, so that's where I that's where I look to, until then, and and I would love to do an assistant role at one point, mm. um, and then level three might come. And I, I it felt it feels like I'll be with Issa for many years to come so i have the time to do it like once every year or so i think maybe in one point i will increase uh, the the times but yeah for now yeah that's that's basically how i see it yeah so um it's interesting that you want to do level one again uh why, why is that because it's so powerful it's so extremely powerful yeah it's just uh, I've never experienced something like this before. And, uh, you yeah, know, it was extremely powerful. Yeah. And I think if I do it again, I will learn more, even more. And I probably have to do it like a third mm. time even. And I know people who did it five times and every time they learn something. Yeah. Ah, I like I like that. Sometimes I move on too quickly, but I like that you repeat this level one. So yeah, what, so, oh, go ahead. Just, just to add, like Ista really also emphasizes that it's not like a level one, two, three. Of course, you think that like, there are three levels, so you must do them. But it's not actually, it could also just stop after five times level one, just stop. You know, so it's not very linear in that sense. It's much more how it feels, what you're mm, going for. I see. Yeah. So it's about becoming more aware of your your sexuality your body your connection your feelings so what role does ista play in society or what role do you feel they, they they're playing oh this is uh this is something they are actually figuring out themselves um constantly i feel what i know what i've heard uh you know um when we discuss like in small groups, like what am I gonna do with this? Like the world, the world is falling apart, and I'm just sitting here, you know, uh, yelling because that's one of the emotional releases. Uh, I can, I can, I think, uh, say that. Uh, and you know, what am I doing here? Like, 
how is this gonna add to you know helping the world? And it's it's very much about um, that's like I think already a, a important discussion. Like for example, I went to Biennale Venice. You have all this art about sustainability, about racism. And then again, you can also ask the question, like, how is this going to, you know, add? Like, it's more of a com commentary on what's going on. Uh, like, ISA is more of an individual kind of process, it feels like. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's, for me, it symbolizes this new energy that's going to just increase um, the amount of harmony and empathy we have for each other. And that that's like one of the basic ingredients we we need for surviving the period to come. So um, ISTA increases empathy and harmony, and that's kind of what the world needs. So that's where they contribute. Yeah, and and that's definitely where they contribute. And in a sense, also like it's not just these are quite feminine uh, characteristics, but it's also about like the masculine being. Uh, you know, a leader taking action, being objective about stuff and, you know, really being there for each other, brotherhood and sisterhood in that sense combined. And um, I'm just, yeah, so I think that's that's where they add. It has to, for me, it feels like an education that adults, when we all will have this, we are like in a new era. Of, 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 of life and I think you know uh, your podcast, the people on your podcast, is that these kind of you know new communities, new ways of thinking new ways of, of, of feeling it's, it's like the first group, the first adapters of this new way of, of being so it's uh, yeah. it, they're pioneers in a new way of being and I I, I like to dig deeper because this episode is also really about your your ISTA experience and your new uh, career ambition, maybe of love and relationship coaching. But what is this new way of being? How do you how do you can you describe that even a bit more? Like what? Was it like yeah, what was well, it? you're lucky because I think about this a lot. So, <laughs> so you know, ISTA is very inspired by tantra, and tantra is all about deprogramming, just like uh, you know having an open relationship, being polyamorous is also about deprogramming. And it's also all, you know, uh, the whole, for example, Black Lives Matter is about deprogramming. Um, the whole, you know, everything that's going on around sexuality and, uh, and, and uh, racism and everything, it's all about deprogramming, right? It's about being aware, first of all, that we have programming that, that has given us privileges or not privileges and how we can deprogram that and develop new programs, basically. You know, I'm an IT leadership consultant, so I think a lot in programming as well. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's, that's the challenge ahead that we dare to, you know, see a new world, a new society, a new community, a new way of living together, which is based on new ways of having energy, um, um, you know, consuming, being together in relationships, communicating, like it's everywhere. Um, the I, whole political I, system is also, you know, it has also been, has, has to be reprogrammed in many, many ways. I see. So it's, a, it's about deprogramming maybe 
older systems that don't function anymore. And um, and ISTA also plays a role in, in, in that. And yeah, you're turning 40 this year, you mentioned, and um, you, you are considering transitioning into becoming a love and relationship coach. Can you share a bit more about your ambition, who you want to coach, what you will coach them on, why it matters? Wow. Okay. So it's a kind of a more of a long-term thing. So I'm now, I'm an IT leadership coach and I'm actually doing great, having really nice clients. Uh, most of my clients are men and I coach them on communication and taking leadership and, you know, really taking responsibility. That's very the essence of it. Um, so, but now I feel this calling also because of ISTA in this, um men women kind of the relationships between them or you know people in general uh regardless of their gender and um and actually that uh, was also a huge part of what i'm doing now it's like how are you gonna have this conversation how are you gonna you know uh, talk with others and i really want to deepen that and i just love love like i just love the theme love so it feels so great to me that I can work for, for, for example, the coming 10 years, helping people with love. That's basically what I feel like, oh my God, I'm going to do that. And then somebody told me, I was like talking to this IT guy about this. And he's like, oh, I bet you get, again, you get the IT guys in your relationship <laughs> coaching sessions. And I was like, oh my God, yes, of course. They're going to have uh, the communication problems they have on their job they're gonna have them in their relationships too and and uh, and then he was like you know what you should do you should help i single it guys to get dates <laughs> <laughs> like hmm, actually i don't i think that's actually a pretty good idea so for me it feels like next year i'm gonna do like the learning part and the experimenting part and then at the end of the year i want to start with opening up my you know, coaching business, but also organizing seminars, retreats, and not just for people in relationships, but also for people who are, yeah, thinking about having a relationship or want to, you know, want to have a relationship and, you know, coach them on that part. Um, mm. And I've, I feel extremely excited, but I want to do it really well. And I'm already learning about it. I'm reading about it, of course. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I see the future. That's beautiful. So you want to step into the theme of love because you love love and um, you want to focus on on, on men. And uh, do you have a certain person that is a role model for you, for instance, Esther Perel or some other love expert? <laughs> no, definitely Esther Perel. Definitely Esther Perel. And I hope just what she does, she, she helps both relationships and companies and I hope to do a similar a combination of both, that I would still be an IT leadership coach, but also relationship slash love coach. I would just love that. And definitely she's one of my huge examples. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. And what did you learn about love from her or from her teachings? Um, wow. I think what I learned more about from her is how she does uh, therapy sessions. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but also what I learned from her is that actually relationships are 
basically the most important thing in your life. Like they define the quality of your life. So if there are professional relationships or friendships or family or love, all these relationships define the quality of your life. And I think that premise is so extremely important. So it is so much worth your time and effort to really be good at them um, and have attention and energy and, you know, okay, really invest in relationships. So that's what I learned mostly mm-hmm. from her. So the relationships is the most important thing in your life. And especially if they're not, if they're not um, well, then they can influence you negatively. Mm-hmm. And to what extent uh, has the relationship of your parents influenced you to step into this field? Yes, no, exactly. I finally have a very good origin story. Like my parents uh, divorced when I was 15 years old. So it's definitely like, uh, yeah, I've learned a lot from them actually how not to have a relationship. So yeah, they're a huge inspiration source. (laughs) Sometimes the pain you've experienced yourself, you then turn into something, right? That's what typically happens. Yeah. Yeah. And um, from your own relationship, can you share maybe one practice that you to do that that benefits you? Like, like I don't know, something in your relationship that benefits you that maybe others can benefit from too, in terms of communication or something? Yeah, so we also have a relationship coach, by the way, mm-hmm. since about six months. And she has learned us a lot about how to have really good fights. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she's like, you will never have no fights in any relationships, but you can have, you can be better at fighting. You can be better at having a discussion. And um, basically when the discussion is starting, uh, even um, more and more so in the earlier stage, one of us is like, wait, what's happening? Um, This is my, you know, this is my real emotional, what's my emotion beneath it? I don't want to attack you. I want to, you know, again, back to my emotion. So that's basically what we're getting really, really good at. Like in the fighting, we still fight. Like we had this summer, we were on a camping and it went fight. Like yelled, our son was there as well. You know, we had that as well. But very early, I said, "Wait a minute, this is not good." And one of the first questions I ask is like, "Did you, what's the time? Oh shit, we have to eat first. Eat then talk, for example, stuff like that. It's it's being uh, much more aware of like, no, 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 I'm not gonna attack you. You are not gonna attack me. What are we doing here? What are we talking about?" Uh, So prioritize other things before you have the discussion sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And don't fight in car, in the car. That's so bad. Like, it's just, you you look in front and I don't know, it's stressful environment. So fight when you can look at each other and when you've eaten or had enough sleep, not at the end of the day. Like, that's all very important. And also as a woman, you know, when is my period? Is it in two days? Oh shit! I should. Oh shit! I'm probably not being reasonable at all at the moment. Yeah, stuff like that. That helps uh, a lot. So as, as you can realize that you're not reasonable, so you you pass then. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get better at that more and more. Yeah. Uh, that, that's brilliant. Well, I'm really curious to see how your uh, your career will uh, will evolve, 
And uh, and the retreats, how do you envision that? What type of retreats will you offer? I I envision like really nice, like long weekends on a really nice spot with a lot of exercises and exercises in communication, like not ISTA, uh, but, you know, inspired probably by ISTA, but for 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 couples uh, or for singles. Uh, yeah, I have these all kinds of ideas. If you want to brainstorm one day, Jasper. We <laughs> <laughs> can brainstorm, yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds brilliant. Well, thank you for sharing. Before we close off this topic of love, relationships and ISTA, is there anything else you want to share on this topic? Love, relationships, and Insta topic. Yeah, well, it just feels, I feel bubbly inside. This is nothing, uh, you know, something I need to share with you. But I feel all bubbly inside when, I, when I'm saying this, like, ah, I really want to do this. I, I cannot wait. And I'm already, you know, developing it, but I'm taking it much more slow than, like, I would 10 years, uh, you know, I had, like, a company in one month. Now I'm just taking it slow. Like, no, I really want to get good at this, understand this on uh, many levels so yeah it's, that's it's it. important to grow things organically i'm doing the same now with soul kitchen you know it's not a it's not a marathon they say it's yeah. not a sprint it's a marathon they say yeah <laughs> um i want to talk also about your your podcast i really like the name it's melissa's midlife i also like professional rebel i think you pick names that are very to the point so can you share about why you started to do this podcast and, and why you call it Melissa Midlife and what you learned from all these interviews? Oh, wow. Um, I started it actually because uh, I, I just love talking to people. I was just thinking uh, during COVID, like, what do I love to do? I just love talking to people mostly. So, and... Um, it just felt like something I, I would just love interviewing people. And then I was thinking like, I'm in a phase as well that I'm not completely sure what I'm doing right now. Uh, I was just thinking about, you know, is it going to just be IT leadership for the rest of my life or what am I going to do? Is there anything else? So I wanted to interview these people also to get inspiration and uh how they decide, like how how are they going about, like you're in the middle of your life, midlife, thinking about who am I, what do I want, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? So that's how it was born. Yeah, so it's not necessarily only on work, but it's also how people approach life, right? And how they yeah, because yeah. one of yeah. the things I I listened to the episode with Oscar Knappers, the Dutch entrepreneur, and he says, have the courage to really take time out. Yes. Um, so what did you learn from him and this this taking time perspective? Well, I learned from him, uh, firstly, that you can just completely switch gears, completely. Like he was in this huge, fast-paced uh, startup scene. He was really in the middle of it and um, a very important figure in that whole scene in Amsterdam. Really pushed it internationally and everything. And then at the same time now, since a couple of years, he's he's like, shit, that's not, that's only fast pace. I really want to sh uh, 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 shift gears completely and go, you know, he's, he went from six to one and uh, now just taking it slow, talking with a lot of people. And I find it so inspiring that 
actually basically like your old story, like a story that you became really successful with, that you can let it go. Like he had huge success and he let that success go. And now just taking it very, very slowly and building something new. And again, he's not fast with it. He's just, you know, being very, yeah, intentional with it. So he let go of his old story kind of. Yeah, and it's not. It was a positive story. Yeah? So old story yeah. sounds negative, but it was a yeah. success story. Yeah, I read a book from uh, Carlos Castaneda. If you do, you know him, the writer. No. So he's a American anthropologist, and he studied with a Mexican shaman for many years, and he wrote some books about it. And one of the books is the journey to Ixlan, and Ixlan is kind of your being, your home. So it's about the journey home. And um, one of the things he suggests is to erase your personal history in the sense that you're not always, you don't always have to live up to your history. Like, oh, I'm Melissa, I'm this person, I'm Oscar, I'm that person. Yes. So that's that's something that um, uh, I recently eliminated my entire LinkedIn. I just put Soul Kitchen just to experience how it is to just oh, have wow. to just have a current project. So it was kind of a ritual. Oh, yes, but I love that. <laughs> oh wow i love that because it's 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 weird because it's a success thing you have in your past but it's actually dragging you kind of down in a way or it, it's hold, holding you back in a sense and that's so strange about it yeah in yeah. a way you you you're still connected to it so if you want to step into a new role like with yeah. socket i want to explore new fields so i eliminated my entire past it's not that i'm ashamed it's not that i want to delete it fully but it's more i step into a new role yeah uh, so that's what oscar, yeah that, that's what oscar seemed to do and, and yeah. what else did you learn from interviewing all these people that's you know we're all like the main character of our own uh, blockbuster movie <laughs> <laughs> all these people and their own stories and they're like the main character of course and you know we all make we can all make what we do so extremely important or you know diminish it in in a second like um so for me it was also like wow all these you know people like individuals but they're all this they're all so wild and then also again like yeah but you know is it they're all just also human like they're all just also human and that's also very important you know that they're also just the same as any baker or whatever you know somebody who would not be on melissa's midlife podcast you know so i don't know if i'm if i'm making sense but yeah i don't know that they're they're all the main character in their own they're the main character and they, they they create their own destiny yeah so, yeah it, do these people have in common that they proactively create their own movie? Is that why you invited them? I think so. Yeah, most of them do. Yeah, definitely. And um, and I yeah, and I feel uh, connected to that in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, well. Thank you for doing that because you inspired me. You you interviewed me as well. I learned a lot. I was very nervous before I came to your studio. I was like, did I prepare enough? Is my story interesting enough? But then I realized <laughs> it's just indeed you share in the moment what feels alive and you yeah. share your own life. So you can't be 
unprepared. Yeah, and your I think your episode was one was the best listened to uh, of all the episodes. Oh wow! At one point, I I don't I'm not sure how it is now, but at one point you were the best listened to. Yeah. Yeah. Most yeah. So you, re you really inspired me to step into this uh, into this role and. Um, yeah. Another question I have, because I'm thinking sometimes of time, you know, what to, what to do with time. You can think about money or time. And uh, you also read Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek. Mm -hmm. But how do you think about time and how do you deal with it or how do you use it? Okay, yeah. So for me, Tim Ferriss is a huge uh, inspiration, not just his 4-Hour Workweek, but his podcast in a whole. And I think the main thing, principle I've learned from him is uh, the um, Pareto principle, like 80-20 mm -hmm. uh, principle that like of the, you know, 20% of your activities uh, amount of the 80% uh, uh, of impact. So, you know, 80% of my day impact is, is just 20% of, you know, success or output or whatever so basically it means like it's all disproportionate so everything you do is disproportionate and then you can think take that principle and, and make your life more effective like really focus on the 20% activities that amount for 80% of the output you can do that and that was something Tim Harris was uh, talking about a lot but I think he switched up at a point, like more of like what makes you really fulfilled and focus on that. And um, that's something, it's it's a very proactive way of, of designing your lifestyle, basically. And that's what I've been doing since I've learned that from him. I think about seven or eight years ago, I've been doing that very actively. And this is probably one of the reasons, you know, I also think about a new relationship type or a new career, like relationship coaching. It's like, what really makes me fulfilled? So how does time come into this? Is Time is actually um, the, the biggest, you know, um, the most valuable thing there is, uh, basically. So, you know, uh, I, I can waste time easily if it just makes me feel relaxed and that's not a problem for me i'm not like an effective i want to be effective completely all the time but um i do want to feel alive i don't mm -hmm. want to feel reactive and in this real of i don't know activities that i have not chosen for so i'm very proactive and in, in, in intentional in what i choose to do with, with whom I'm talking to, with who I'm meeting or whatever. Um, but I think it's, yeah, so that's how I, that's how I view time. It's about being conscious and, and being proactive, how you want to design your, your life, your relationship, yeah. your time. Yeah. I think the four hour work week is an inspiration because it takes it to the extreme, you know, and that's why it triggers your thinking. Yeah. So you don't necessarily need to work only four hours, but it really triggers your thinking. Yeah, and, and what he's also talking about is being smart about it, like um, being be do, doing something that is, you know, comes more natural to you, what you're excited about, uh, developing systems to make it more easy for yourself. I think those things I still apply today a lot.
like building systems to make it more easy to automate stuff. That's really important. So you have more free time. Even in that free time, you're not effective or no, not productive. That's not the issue at all. It's just that you don't feel like you're part of this automatic wheel or like this, you know, yeah. system without thinking about it. Yeah. I, I see. And then uh, what is your relationship with, um, with money? Money. <laughs> and, how, and is money flowing? Money is flowing, definitely, in and out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I grew up with a household where both of my parents were very easily in spending money um, on food, clothing, traveling, and I still have that programming. My partner, uh, thank God, is much more uh, frugal, so he's much more, you know, efficient in He wants to more save and I want to spend. So that's really good that we have that both. Um, but, I, you know, at the moment, also because of Tim Ferriss, I've started to really focus on increasing my value, quality of my work, uh, having a lot of attention and, and uh, focus on increasing quality of my work, being an expert in a certain field. And then you know, increase my hourly rates or my daily rates uh, uh, very much. So I think that's also very important lesson I learned from Tim Ferriss, like the expert, uh, the value of an expert and how you can uh, use that to make more money and not be, it's not a taboo at all for me anymore to, to talk about money and uh, being proud of having, you know, more money and earning money, yeah. Yeah, so it's not a not a taboo. And if you develop a certain expertise, like you've chosen as an IT leadership coach, then your rates can um, can go up. Yeah, that's um, that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And on your website, I saw a few uh, mantras. Um, oh yeah, one of them was of Tim Ferriss. Like the success of your life is based on how many uncomfortable conversations you can have. Like, what? Yeah. Why do you like that mantra? Yeah, I actually always start my leadership programs with this mantra because a lot of people are being held back in their career or project or whatever because they they are not um, having the courage or taking the time to have that one conversation with that one person that will help so much in going further. Um, so whether it's, you know, uh, for example, pitching a new idea to your boss or actually um, talking about this conflict you have with your manager or client, you should really just do it and learn from it. And it does not, for me, it doesn't even matter how you are in the conversation. Uh, as long as you start the conversation, it's already a success for my part. And then you can always come back on stuff like, oh, I should have said it this or uh, I'm sorry I said that whatever you can always do that but please go have the talks and uh, and you probably know what what the, what people what conversations you have to have I also need to have one conversation I already know it but it I agree it can accelerate you because if you avoid them yeah. then you you stagnate in this area or you kind of you can't continue right can you tell us a little bit about the conversation or is it <laughs> conversation. I think it's a it's a private one, but I I um 
I need to talk to someone. No, I need to talk to someone, but I'm postponing it a bit. But I will, I'll do it yeah. soon. So, yeah, that's uh, that's. But when you know that you are postponing it, then you have to do it as soon as possible. As soon as you possible. Feel like you're yeah, yeah, yeah. I really believe that. And then the second man- mantra: leadership is not about you, but it's about the other. Why have you chosen that one for your website? Well, that's basically going back to like we're the main character in our own blockbuster movie, <laughs> but we all have this. So if you really wanna. Um, increase your success for example if you have this project or you know you have this goal you want to achieve and you have to work with other people you have to keep in mind that it's about understanding them and not being understood like you really have to understand them and get to know them and understand how you can help them and not just have this ego story about you and your success and whatever you're gonna do and what you need, you know, it's it's very much about them. And if you have that, um, if you are a leader that's focused on others, uh, then then your success will be much, yeah, it will become much more easier to have, you know, uh, high quality relationships, high quality communication, high quality projects. I see. Yeah. So it's really about showing up to the other showing interest instead of focusing on your own own story i really really like that yeah yeah and i think one of the things you do now is like having this podcast is interviewing and listening that's like one of the biggest skills you can have as a leader as well listening and really being interested completely fully for that other person that's just a huge gift and uh, not a lot of people can do that so that's really great Jasper. Thank you very much. Yeah, so listening is indeed important in uh, in leadership. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm really um, excited to follow your career from professional rebel to podcast host to IT leadership coach to love and relationship guru. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll hire you at some point if you're not too expensive. <laughs> For you, never, yes. <laughs> So, um, do you have some? Because uh, the Soul Kitchen is also about recipes for life. Uh, so, mm. can you summarize your forty years of experience with one <laughs> recipe for the people that are listening to this episode? Yeah. So, like, basically, my recipe is I'm. You know, my baseline is I am very lazy. I'm very lazy. So you don't have to be, you know, completely active all the time to be, you know, kind of successful in a, in an area. I want to say, I want to really explicitly say that, that that's okay. And that a couple of months per year, I'm, I'm, I'm ambitious. And then that drive I use and I take that energy and I just throw it out there and create all kinds of stuff and, and uh, get in contact with all kinds of people. So you don't have to be, you know, uh, always consistently energetic and whatever. That's not necessary. And I think my, my recipe for life is, yeah, what I said, like relationships. For example, with you, you know, I already know you about 10 years or so. And once in a several years, we see each other and we have this good relationship and good communication and we see each other all over the world. And that's like, I have this with all kinds of people and I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's beautiful. Well, thank you very much for sharing your, your recipe. So you can be lazy once in a while and, and nurture your relationships. <laughs> that's fantastic. Thank you for your time. And thanks to all the people that have been listening. I hope to uh, see you soon. Thank you.